the Bible, God's good book, you know, that first book in God's good book cuts through the inflation of human nonsense every time. And one of the ways that God cuts through our own nonsense is by simply identifying himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because if you know anything about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know that these guys are funny. This is a funny family. And in Genesis chapter 29 to 31 chapters, three chapters, we're going to find our man Jacob on what seems to be the funny farm. Well, anyhow, this is God's Funny Family. Come on in, let's check it out together. Everybody needs God. Everybody wants God. That's what we believe here at the Publical Channel. Um, I know a lot of people might say they don't need God or want God, but I think that's a sad state of affairs only because I haven't heard anybody who says, I don't need God or I don't want God. I haven't heard them come up with something really fun and a great alternative that rings the chamois of life and gets the most out of human beings. Um, it's usually just some sort of hopeless negativity. So we're just going with the idea that everybody does need God and everybody does want God. Um, and it's the Bible that gives us what we need and what we want. God puts his name, his whole story squarely on the shoulders of regular folk, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives. These are regular folk. They are the usual suspects of our world. Our problem is that we tend to church up God, and then we don't like them because we churched them up, but God doesn't church himself up. The Bible doesn't church up God. The Bible doesn't church us up either. We're the ones who make a game of churching things up. Anyhow, the Bible is super refreshing because God is not pretentious at all. And he is truly God with us. You know, Emmanuel, God with us. Our problem tends to be along the lines that, well, when things aren't going our way or when things seem to be bad, we have a bad habit of thinking that God doesn't like us. And then that makes us mad too. It's us that's got problems. We've got 99 problems and God ain't one of them. The Bible is refreshing because God tells us clearly in his Bible that he is always with us, no matter how bad things get, no matter where we are. And, and this story with Jacob, woo! you think your situation of life is hard? Check out our man Jacob in Haran. Woo! Jacob makes everybody feel better, or at least they, you know, he has the potential to, if you've got a little sense of humor. Jacob lands on what we call, might call the funny farm, Laban's farm. Laban's, well, Laban's situation of life. We'll talk more about that, but hey, God is going to be with Jacob all the way. So let's uh, dive into that. Before we go any further, let's pray the way the Lord Jesus taught us how to pray. And that is, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, our debtors. 
Yeah. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Mm, that's the rub. And let's read this thing with a sense of humor so that we get the most out of it and so that we can wring the chamois of this life to the best of our ability and to, well, God's best as well. Come on in. <clears throat> well, this passage here is three chapters long, very long, so we are not going to read it all. We'll be talking about it, and that's the way good stories go. It's, it's totally fine to just talk about the stories. You don't always have to read it, but reading it is super important because we always want to get it right. We don't want to just go out into left field and do our own thing, so that's why reading it um, is actually <clears throat> important. But sometimes, you know, it's just too long and it's best served if we just kind of capture the moments of the story, talk about the story, as long as we're talking about the story um, and the right things that the story throws out, we're in good shape. So anywho, uh, we're going to dive right into this. It's, it's uh, you know, Jacob is our main point of view and we probably need to catch up with, with uh, you know, what happened last week and what, uh, or, you know, in the last chapters and what happens right now. Um, first of all, let's just, uh, you know, remember that Jacob is the son of laughter. He is literally the son of a man named laughter. Isaac is what we call him, but Isaac means laughter. And so if that doesn't give us a clue that we should be reading this, you know, from the perspective of a little bit of humor, then, well, I think we're clueless. Uh, we should be, you know, totally seeing the, the humor vein in this so that we can laugh at the story and also laugh at ourselves. But remember, our man Jacob is on the run. His family came apart, like many families come apart. His family's dysfunctional. Um, Isaac and Rebecca, they had great moments together and they, you know, all in all, probably a decent husband wife team, but they don't finish well and they don't do well with the kids. And so the, the Rebecca plotting, scheming, you know, and Jacob along with her has totally blown up the family so much so that Jacob is on the run. He is running away from his brother Esau who wants to kill him. And his mom and his dad, Isaac, send him off to Haran to Rebekah's brother Laban. And, and so we're going to look at, at Jacob, our man in Haran. But there's something also that um, oh, I'm going to play around with, so you'll have to forgive me if you don't like it, but I learned a word a long time ago uh, called Sitzenleben. It's a German word um, that means situation of life. Sitzenleben means situation of life. It's a German word. Um, and and uh, I'm not, you know, I'm, hey, let, let's, you know, let's try to increase our word power a little bit. But anyhow, it's a great word because situation of life is what we're oftentimes thinking about. And situation of life is really what the Bible's always thinking about for us, is that what is our situation of life? And so we're going to play around with this little word, Sitzenleben, because our man uh, Jacob is in Laban's, well, setting. He is in Laban's situation of life. And we're going to see that Jacob is going to get schooled. If we thought that Jacob was that kind of clever kid, you know, well... We're going to find out he's going to get schooled by someone way more cleverer than Jacob. And his name is Laban. Sits in Laban. Jacob is going to sit in Laban. Literally, he's going to sit in Laban's world. And it's going to get funny along the way. Okay, so our scene... You know, we rem remember that Jacob just got off of 
uh, a pretty high moment. He was pretty low coming out of his father's household on the run from his brother who wants to kill him. And uh, God gives him a dream that totally pumps him up. He says, this is awesome. He is really stoked and really excited. Um, and he completes the journey and he goes right back to that same well, he goes right back to that same well um, where his father had met his mother. Okay, and this was their plan and that's fine, um, you know, but this time is really not like the last time. It's at the same place. And by the way, I love the fact that throughout the Bible, God loves wells. Like, I find that to be awesome. God loves wells. So many of the Bible's best stories happen around a well and revolve around a well. Even Jesus and his stories oftentimes revolve around a well. And so this is awesome that God he just likes wells. Hey, I like little things. I like certain things. You know, God likes certain things. He likes wells. I love that. Anyhow, let's not get too sidetracked by that. Anyhow, this time is unlike the last time when Abraham's servant went looking for God's providential pick for Isaac. And if we remember back then, Abraham's servant was, you know, a man with his own faith in Abraham's God. Um, he was a man who had his own prayer life. He was a man who was full of praise for God. He was a man who was relying on the providence of God. And let's not forget the fact that, um, you know, Abraham's servant was loaded, loaded with camels and cash and all kinds. Well, I don't know about cash, but you know, he was loaded. He was wealthy. He, he had brought a lot to the table. Jacob arrives onto the scene, broke. Dude's flat broke. He's on the run. Um, he's probably got kind of his tongue hanging down, although he arrives at this well, the same well, and another love story is going to break out, but it's going to be really different. Because even though Jacob is really excited about, you know, what God had revealed to him in a dream, he's still a man who needs his rough edges smoothed out. And so not only is he a man without money, but he's also a man without prayer. He's also a man without praise. He's also a man who's really not, um, well, let's just say he's not relying on the providence of God. He's still relying on his own, you know, cleverness and his own, you know, uh, strength and his own abilities and, and this kind of thing. And so Jacob in this whole story for the next three chapters is going to be, um, uh, you know, that diamond in the rough. And I don't even know if he comes out a diamond, but uh, he certainly is going to get his rough edges knocked off by the time we get done with this story. But anyhow, let's just go right to our scene. He arrives at the well and, um, you know, people start coming about and he says to the guys who come out, he says, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, well, we come from Haran. And he said to them, hey, do you know Laban, uh, son of Nahor? And they said, yeah, we know him. He said to them, is, is it well with him? But I love the little pun on well, but, and they say, yeah, it is well. And, and see, Rachel, his daughter is coming with the sheep. And, and I think at this point, we need to imagine the carpenter's music breaking out. Why do birds suddenly appear every time you are near? They long to be just like me, close to you. See, it, it seems like one of these deals where, you know, 
everything just stops for a moment because Rachel has come onto the scene. And what's even funnier is, is that our man Jacob, he gets all bossy and macho. As soon as he sees her coming, he starts bossing the guys around. He says, behold, it's still high day. It's not time to uh, for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. And they said, well, we can't do that until all the flocks have gathered together and stones rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep, you know, and then boom, Rachel arrives on the scene. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came to her, came with her father's sheep for she was a shepherdess. And now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban's mother. So this time the role was reversed. Remember it was Rebecca had done all the work for the servant um, and kind of proved, you know, her own metal, you know, in front of the servant that she was a hardworking guy, gal concerned about hospitality. This time it's Jacob who, you know, he gets all bossy and sassy with the guys telling them, trying to tell them what to do. And they're looking at him like, what are you talking about, man? And then he gets all macho and he grabs that stone to get it off the well. You know, it's just, it's, it's just a total scene we can relate to, right? Um, you know, Jacob's got googly eyes for Rachel and he gets all bossy and macho. And then the scene hilariously lands on this line. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept out loud. You want to talk about a man full of emotions. Whoa, pal, slow down. Is this love at first sight or is this love at the first thing you see? Well, maybe it's both. And I think the question is, wow, is Jacob, you know, raw here? Is he, is he just naive? Is he, you know, like, is he just overwhelmed? It sure does seem like he's overwhelmed. He is certainly not polished and he is certainly not, you know, kind of waiting on God, asking God anything. He, he just, whoo, it's either love at first sight or it's just love the first thing you see, you know, I don't know, but I think both things are probably going on. And so, Anyhow, um, as the scene unfolds, uh, Laban, you know, uh, Rachel's dad, Rebecca's brother, Laban comes back onto the scene and he seems like a really nice bloke. Um, he seems to be really happy to see his nephew. They spend a month together, we're told. And he says, he says, oh man, you, you know, you're my kinsman, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you know, so they're, they're like all, you know, jiggy with it, you know, having fun together. A month goes by. Um, and he's so happy to see his nephew that, uh, well, he offers him a job and he says, Hey, you know, what should your wages be? You know, it seems like we've got a bromance going on here. And then the narrator jumps in and gives us some awkward information and the awkward information, right? When Laban says, Hey, what should I pay you for your job that you're going to do for me? And, uh, uh um, the, the narrator says, oh, Laban has two daughters, an older daughter named Leah and a younger daughter named Rachel. Uh, Leah's eyes were weak and Rachel, whoo, she was beautiful in form and appearance. So it's kind of a funny comment because we, uh, as, as I might say, we've got squints and J-Lo, you know, on the scene. But I don't think we should think of Leah as unattractive. I just think that she's got like, you know, 
and and of course I know that this is not historically in context, but I think we should imagine that her squinting makes her a bit unattractive. Maybe the way a pair of geeky uh, uh, Coke bottle glasses, you know, might, you know, turn a, a beautiful girl into uh, well, kind of a hidden beauty, you know, underneath those those glasses. When she takes the glasses off, you know, she's she's beautiful, and I think it's going to be important for what's going to happen next. But it's interesting that the uh, narrator jumps in to tell us this fact, and then Jacob you know, gives his answer. And Jacob offers up himself for seven years service just so Rachel could be his wife. Laban, Laban says, deal, brother. I'll take that deal any day of the week. And so the deal is on. And uh, and then we're told by the narrator, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Who you can't be sweeter than that. That is one of the sweetest, romanticest lines in the Bible. Seven years just seems like a couple days because of his love for Rachel. Oh, this thing is going in the right direction, right? Well, Laban says, and, and so Jacob, you know, serves these seven years and he goes to Laban. And he says, the time for my wife is here. And, and Laban says, that's great. Let's have a big party. And so he organizes this party. And that is the end of this scene for just a moment. And that's where we go next. Okay, we're at the party where we're celebrating, you know, um, um, you know, Jacob is, is finally going to get his bride after seven years. But then here's how the story goes. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. <gasps> Jacob does, I'm sorry, Laban, Laban does the old switcheroo. So it seems like, you know, the party made Jacob's eyes bad Jacob's eyes were so bad that he couldn't tell the difference between old Squints and J-Lo, which tells us, I think, a little bit that uh, Squints is probably really good looking um, and they're sisters. So I don't think, you know, we should be imagining, you know, something, uh, you know, that, that Leah is, is, is not shapely and beautiful, but in the party mode, you see where I'm going with this party mode? Seems like uh, Jacob might have had a little too much to drink, which has affected his own eyes. And the next thing you know, he has sex with uh, Leah. He wakes up and he's like, what is this that you have done to me, Laban? And, uh, you know, Laban's like, oh, it's not our custom to marry off the younger before the older. So you got to marry the older. Oh, boy, Jacob has just been schooled. And, and, and the irony here is that Jacob was the one who broke custom, well, by God's own doing, but broke custom for his own blessing because he's the younger of his older brother and he got the blessing, but now he becomes the victim of custom, of human customs, Laban's customs. And you know, what's really interesting is that uh, even in the ancient world, what Laban just said doesn't seem to be verified anywhere that we've ever been able to find. It seems like Laban just might be making up his own rules as he goes along, which totally fits Laban's character as it goes on. Laban loves to just make up his own rules. He's a clever guy. And Jacob, you know, Rebecca's son, 
has truly met his match. He is going to be outwitted left and right. I think one of the more interesting parts of this is that once again, we see the Bible's consistent position, and that is sex equals marriage. And there's no take backs. Um, you got to give Jacob some credit here because he is a good man. And he, well, he seems to understand and take this all in stride. Um, he says, you know, I still want Rachel. Um, and and uh, Laban says, well, you'll have to serve another, uh, another seven years. And don't make the mistake of thinking that he had to wait another seven years before he got Rachel. He actually has to only wait a week and he does get Rachel, but he still has to serve Laban another seven years. So way back when Rebecca had sent Jacob off to this episode, I think she only thought a few months might be, you know, all that is needed. Now we're looking at 14 years. Jacob's naivete has, well, got him into the situation that he is in. But Jacob's naivete is going to wear off quite quick when it comes to old Laban. Don't forget, Laban is Rebecca's son. And so it's no wonder that Laban is such a conniver and such a good, you know, player in the game of life, uh, always changing up the rules and getting his way. All right. So now we have uh, Genesis 29, 31 to Genesis 30, 24. And in this longer passage, we, I'll just say it like this, seven come 11. So the next seven years that Jacob is, is going to spend is going to result in 11 children. And it is a wild ride because these sisters are nuts. Jacob is now going to get schooled. I mean, you just got to feel for the guy because his head is going to be turned around so many times as these sisters, these nutty sisters engage in a competition for Jacob's love. Rachel has the lead because she has Jacob's love. Leah doesn't have Jacob's love and God notices that. And so God sides with the underdog. He sides with Leah. You got to give Jacob credit. You know, it, it seems like, you know, he's not totally neglecting uh, Leah, but he certainly does not love her. And, and well, God sides with the underdog and he makes Leah's womb uh, fertile and Rachel's womb, he puts off to the side. But don't mistake it. Both of these girls are tough cookies and they are both engaged in, in a sister brawl when it comes to our man, Jacob. And so this whole thing turns into like a bad baseball game or a meatloaf song, Paradise by the Dashboard Lights. And uh, the, you know, the fact is, is that right or you know, Rachel is left in the dust by Leah. Leah has four children. She has Reuben. She has Simeon. She has Levi. She has Judah. It's four to nothing. Um, Leah is in the lead. <laughs> and Leah, to her credit, names her sons uh, very positive things. You know, the Lord has looked upon my affliction. That's what Reuben means. The Lord has heard that I am hated. That's what Simeon means. Uh, Attachment is what Levi means, and, and praise the Lord is what Judah means. Okay, well, Rachel is steaming. She is steaming so much that she blames Jacob, and she says, Give me children, or I shall die. And Jacob's mad, you know, and is, you know, he's like, Hey, 
He's like, hey, am I in the place of God who has withheld you the fruit of the womb? Okay, number one lesson, guys, don't ever say something like this to your wife. Jacob is still rough around the edges, um, but he gets himself backed into a corner by Rachel. And, well, this is what he has to say. And that's not a good thing to say. <clears throat> so let's take that lesson. But Rachel, in her anger, she decides to get a pinch hitter involved. And so she decides to give Jacob her servant, Bilhah. Okay, so Bilhah, you know, is given to Jacob and bam! Okay, Rachel gets one on the board. It's four to one because Bilhah has a child on Rachel's behalf, if that's how it works. But don't miss the fact, once again, that sex makes wives. And so when Jacob has sex with Bilhah, the text says, she's now a wife. If you thought Jacob's life was complicated with two women, imagine how three is going now. And you do got to feel bad for Jacob. I, I, I as a man, I, I don't know how in the world. I've never seen, you know, I can't even imagine, you know, I don't feel like I'm successful enough with one wife. Um, I can't imagine having two, three. Okay. So anyhow, Rachel's on the board. It's The score is four to one. And then bam, she has another one. Rachel's names for her children are a little gloomier. You know, God has judged me, Dan, and mighty wrestlings with my sister, Naphtali, um, are the name of her kids. But the score is four to two after Rachel's two RBIs. And then Leah sees this game afoot and Leah realizes she's not having babies anymore. And so Leah gets her own servant involved. And once again, sex makes for wives. And so Leah's servant is Zilpah and she bores uh, Jacob a kid. And now the score is, uh, well, uh, uh, five to two. And then she has another one. Uh, so we have Gad and Asher. Now the score is six to two. And, uh, and then another oddity comes into play. <clears throat> um, Leah's oldest son, Reuben, it seems like he's in on the competition too because he's bringing his mother magic mandrakes. And then Rachel gets involved and she's like, hey, I want some of your son's magic mandrakes. And mandrakes are, are um, considered, you know, to be, you know, some sort of, um, you know, strange aphrodisiac or or fertility kind of you know plant or oh, this is not a good scene so so rachel rachel wants these magic mandrakes and uh, then her and leah negotiate terms for these magic mandrakes and uh, well let's just say this god rewards rachel's magic mandrakes by giving leah more children and so god rewards rachel's magic uh, with two more kids for Leah, the score is now seven to two and then eight to two. And then that brings us to the bottom of the eighth inning and Rachel hits a home run of her own and uh, she has a son named Joseph. She's not quite done yet, but the score is definitely in Leah's favor. It is def it's, uh, uh, you know, eight to two or I'm, I'm sorry, eight to three. The score will end up being eight to four, um, but then our scene comes to a close. But clearly Jacob has gotten into, you know, a situation that's so far beyond him, it's not even funny. 
Okay, so it's no surprise then that when Rachel has Joseph, and now we're in chapter 30, verse 25 to 31, verse 2, but Jacob and 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 Jacob, <clears throat> uh, you know, after after Rachel has Joseph, Jacob says it's time to go. You can't blame the guy. It's time to go. We've got to get around fr away from this funny farm. Um, you know, Jacob's getting you know messed with completely by Laban, and his his wives are are crazy. Um, and so he says it's time for us to go back to our my home country. It's time to go home. Um, and, and, you know, in that, um, you know, we, we get the sense that, you know, Jacob is, is really quite frustrated, you know, and he just needs a change of circumstances. You people are crazy. Um, all this is crazy. This is a funny farm. I got to get away from this funny farm. And, and Jacob is going to sit in Laban again. Laban's going to come onto the scene. And the next thing you know, Jacob is going to be duped once again. So, Oh, Jacob completely steps in the sits in Laban. Uh, you know, I hope you can see the reference. Anyhow, Laban comes to Jacob when he hears that Jacob wants to leave. And Laban comes on the scene. He says, oh, well, oh, but Jacob, your God has blessed me. Which is really interesting because Laban really wasn't successful before Jacob came onto the scene. Now Laban is very successful. And you can't blame Laban for wanting to you know, not wanting to give up his success. And so Laban says, what should I give you? How should I pay you? Jacob, to his credit, you know, he's been a good guy. He said, I'll tell you what, I really don't want anything from you. Just give me all of your unwanted sheep. Now, if we were sheep herders, we would understand that this long elaboration about speckled, spotted, striped, and black sheep and lambs um, you know, is, is really, you know, Jacob being very fair. And he said, just give me your, your, you know, kind of the unwanted sheep of, of your pasture. Laban says deal. That's a great deal. But then as soon as, as soon as he says deal, Laban does what Laban does. And he plays the old switcheroo again. So he goes through the, 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 the flocks and he pulls out all of those speckled, spotted, striped and blacks. And he gives them to his other sons. And then he sends them on a three-day journey away. And so Jacob comes onto the scene and he has nothing. You know, Laban's like, hey, what do you mean there's none? <laughs> you can't, well, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know that. And then the scene, you know, if it was bad that Rachel resorted to magic mandrakes, then the scene takes another weird twist because Jacob, in a place of frustration, not knowing what to do, maybe he resorts to magic tricks himself. And so he resorts to the custom of the day with these sticks and different kinds of sticks that are supposed to yield different types of sheep, you know. And so basically... Jacob resorts to magic sticks to get his speckled, spotted, and striped and black sheep and lambs. Um, and we're left saying to ourselves, what? Why, Jacob, would you resort to these magic sticks? And why would the Bible include this scene that recognizes that, you know, Jacob resorted to magic? See, the Bible doesn't church up its characters. The Bible doesn't, you know, pretend like its characters are, are better than us. The Bible shows us that its characters are like us. Jacob's got his back up to the wall. He tries magic tricks. Eight more years go by, um, and, and uh, we are told that Jacob, in the meantime, 
it seems like his magic tricks working out because his wealth grows from nothing to whoa whoa fabulous wealth and and we're left saying really is the bible endorsing Jacob's magic? Hold that thought for a second. But when this passage comes to a close, um, you know, toward the end, you know, chapter 31, verse 1 and 2, the narrator tells us something very interesting, and that is Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all of his wealth. Jacob saw that Laban didn't have any regard for him with favor as before. Now, this is a fascinating little line because it reminds us um, that Laban and his sons are really like those Philistines with Isaac. Um, and, and, and again, the Bible does spend a lot of time, you know, pointing out that envy, envy and jealousy are oftentimes the source of much of our trouble in life. And so Laban's sons and Laban himself, like the Philistines, are the type of people that get their success by being jealous of other people's success and taking away from their success rather than making success on their own. Laban admits that his prosperity has come from Jacob and his God, but when push comes to shove, Laban and his uh, sons treat Jacob like a nobody. And I'm just going to say this. If you're a human being and you haven't run into humans who treat you poorly just because you're doing better than them, well, look out. It's coming because that's a, that's a situation everybody's going to see at some point in their life. And the Bible, you know, tells us very plainly this this is a part of our real world that we live in. Okay, so then the scene shifts, um, and, and now Jacob is wealthy enough to leave, and the Lord steps in and tells Jacob, he says, return to the land of your fathers, to your kindred, and I will be with you. Now, God had said that he was going to be with him all the, all the way, and he always has been with him. Um, but instead of Jacob sits in Laban, God sits on Jacob this time. And when God says it's time to go, the games are done. When God says it's time to go, it's time to go. So Jacob gathers Rachel and Leah to talk to them about the plan. They're going to leave. And here's where it gets real interesting. As Jacob is talking to Leah and Rachel... Jacob confesses that he was shown in a dream that it was God and not his magic tricks that yielded all of his animal husbandry success. So the fabulous wealth that he has, Jacob admits to Rachel and Leah, he said, I'm just telling you, it was not my magic. It was God and, and, and God looking out for us that allowed us to get this fabulous wealth to the point that we are. And he also points out that your dad has been working against us all along. And this brings a fairly sweet moment because for the very first time, Rachel and Leah are united. And the first thing that they're united around is the idea that their dad is a big fat jerk. Leah and Rachel both say, our dad is a jerk. He's a swindler. He's a cheat. He has stolen from us and what should be ours. And Rachel and Leah are also united 
at uh, at this place in 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 chapter uh, 31 verse 16 they're also united around the idea that Jacob needs to do whatever God tells him to do so what we see is that progress is being made everybody is becoming more godly and for the very first time Rachel and Leah are united you know when previously they were just in constant you know annoying competition with each other and then that brings Laban on the scene once again because he gets wind of Jacob's little uh, well Jacob actually steals away in the middle of the night he still thinks it's important to be clever so he sneaks out the back jack as we might say but this time God's not going to sit on Jacob God's going to sit on Laban and so as as uh, uh, Laban hears that you know Jacob has stolen away and and uh, is on the run Laban gathers his forces and he goes in hot pursuit of them and while Laban was out tending the sheep Rachel does oh a crazy thing Rachel steals her father's idols you know it's like why well because it's real life baby Rachel steals her father's idols which leaves you know why would she do that well we're not really told does she think that she's stealing Laban's God powers away from him? Does she want those idols or those, you know, for her own success? Or is she just trying to annoy her father because she, well, recognizes him as a cheat and a steal? We're not really told. We don't really know. But we do know that she isn't happy. So I'm going to go with choice number three. I think that she's just really PO'd at him. But maybe she does still have some sort of hangover with uh, the gods of her father's house. Maybe she does want them on her own. Um, but this situation almost gets her killed. Because Jacob, when he is confronted by Laban, um, you know, Laban, you know, you know, makes makes it clear why have you done this to me and why have you stolen my gods well Jacob gets you know mad about that because he doesn't know that Rachel has stolen these these household gods and Jacob you know ushers in a vow that is rash he is not consulting God God did not want him to say this thing but Jacob's vow is rash because Jacob says hey if you find anybody with something of yours you can kill them Woo! Rachel's life is on the line because, you know, and Jacob says, go look, go look at everything. And then it's kind of weird. It's kind of, you know, um, you know, Laban goes on a big search. And oddly enough, you know, Rachel, she's pretty clever herself, right? Um, and and uh, he goes into Rachel's tent. And when he goes under Rachel's tent, uh, she is sitting there, I suspect, with a uh, maybe a blanket or her dress or, you know, stuff all spread around her. And um, and and she says, oh, I'm sorry, father, for not getting up, but I'm on my period. You know, the woman thing that comes around every month. And it, it does seem like it's enough for Laban to say, well, I'm not going to look under there. I mean, like, that's awkward, right? No, still stand up. Let me see the blood that you've left behind. Um, and, and, and it must be, you know, like unfathomable to Laban that, uh, you know, that she would actually menstruate on his household idols. I don't know, something like that. 
But we're also very aware that God has actually intervened in this situation with his grace. He has actually stepped into, he has stepped on Laban and warned Laban to not do anything good or bad whenever he confronts Jacob. And so God's grace intervenes in this situation. Um, you know, he ends up, you know, not following through or catching this, you know, thing that Rachel, you know, has, uh, has stolen the, the household gods. And, you know, and, and what we also see is that Jacob is ruthlessly honest. You know, he tells Laban last 20 years, you, you know, have been a real test. You've been a real turd to me. Um, you know, and Jacob is becoming more godly. So that's part of the action that we're looking at. But in true Laban fashion, since God doesn't allow him to do any harm to Jacob, he makes Jacob promise to not do any harm to him. And end scene. Jacob does have another scene coming up. It's going to get crazy. It's going to get wild because this is God's funny family. Jacob's next Rubicon to cross is going to be meeting up with Esau. You know, that brother that wanted to kill him the last time he saw him 20 plus years ago. And so that leaves us with this question. And that is, what do we have here in these three chapters? What, what, what do we have here that we can take away? Well, I think it just goes along these simple lines. First of all, goodbye Laban. Thank the Lord. And his shits in Laban, you know, is finally gone. Jacob's character was growing. Even though Laban made Jacob's life difficult, Jacob has grown and he's allowed God to grow him up. And in the middle of all of this, we see a story of, you know, that God is not pretension, pretentious rather. God's Holy nation is starting. What we have seen here, 11 out of the 12 tribes that are going to be the focal point of God starting a holy nation. And what we see that this is this holy family, this holy family is, is anything but polished. I mean, they are rough around the edges. Jacob ends up with four wives and out of these four wives and their children, God's holy nation, God's 12 tribes will be assembled. So God's storyline involves a bunch of goofballs and misfits. And if we can't relate to, to that, then that is our fault. And the other thing that, that we should be able to see clear is about God is with us in our problems. He is with Jacob in his problems. Even when Jacob and Rachel resorts to, you know, magic tricks, God doesn't turn his back on them. He continues to offer them opportunities to grow and to develop. And they do. God continues to grow them because they let him grow them. And they're, you know, God is patient. God is kind and God is with us. And if we think about Jesus and his story, it's still the same story. Jesus comes onto the scene in human birth in the lowliest of circumstances without pretension of any kind. And the name of Jesus that the angels give him is God with us. All of this is the biblical backbone from front to back. And this is what cuts through the inflation of human nonsense. God is with us, even in our problems, even when life isn't going well. And God is not pretentious. And so we shouldn't be either. All right. That's where we're going to end our time. Catch you next time.